and you can't have it all is the point mm. right and the problem when you can't have it all you got to pick right and, and for me it was family it's always been family but then you question yourself like if i turned all my burners on work could i create like an eight or nine figure business and that's tough for someone like me like i i always want to do the best at everything that i do so what do i do now what i do now is no revenue goals and instead i just pick one thing that i'm going to focus on for the year Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. We set Let's go back to pre-famous Steve Chu. Back before you were a big deal and before everybody in the finance world and entrepreneurship world knew who you were, before you had a top 25 marketing podcast in the world, I'm making up all this right now. That's right, right? You did because Stetson pulled all that. That from is the, true. From the you archives. pulled all that, but I'm not yeah. looking at it. I want oh, you to know yes. how good I can wow, memorize nice, things. nice. Before all of that, take us to pre that Steve Chu. Who were you before you were a big deal? Pre that, I was an electrical engineer. Were you really? It's what I studied. How did I not know that? Well, okay. You know I'm Asian, right? So we basically have three paths in life. Okay. Lawyer, engineer, or doctor. Mm. I chose engineer. Mm. I had no intention of doing any of that stuff. Okay. I went to school. I knew I was going to be an engineer early on. Went to Stanford, graduated, got my master's, found a job in the Silicon Valley. I love my job. I was set to design microprocessors for the rest of my life. Ooh. But then I married a beautiful woman. Her name is Jennifer. You guys have met, I think, right? Yeah. You guys met at FinCon. She's beautiful. So, uh, <laughs> hey, easy there, buddy. Heather's not bad herself. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And uh, we live in the Silicon Valley, which is probably the most expensive place. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe outside of New York. And she told me she, was, she wanted to quit her job. Mm. She was making six figures. And, you know, Asians, we want education, right? So in order to get a good house in a good school district... You pretty much need two incomes where I live. Yeah. And when she told me she was going to quit, I, I was on board with it. Because when I grew up, my parents, they were first-generation immigrants, and they came here with nothing. And so they worked their butts off, so I didn't have to pay for anything. I didn't pay for college. I ended up debt-free coming mm. out of college, right? And so I was on board with that, but I was worried at the same time, right? Because we wouldn't be able to get a house and, yeah. and all that stuff. So we ended up selling handkerchiefs. Like blowing your nose handkerchiefs. Like blowing your nose handkerchiefs. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you how we got started with that. It was completely random. It's funny how just random things happen. You yeah. Know? When my wife and we were getting married, we hired these photographers, kind of like your team here, but maybe more expensive. I don't know. It was, it was a lot of money at yeah, the time Yeah, these guys are cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just throw them like burritos, right? No, exactly. Uh, <laughs> here, here's some Mexican food for lunch. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's your pay for the month. <laughs> so uh, my wife, she, she cries a lot. Not because of me, no, sure. right? I mean, not, not, not because she's sad, because she's happy. So on her she, wedding day, yeah. she knew she was going to cry. Mm. And she didn't want the photos of her crying, drying her tears with what, Kleenex okay. tissues, right? So we looked all over the place for a handkerchief. And at that time, which was 2003-ish, couldn't find handkerchiefs anywhere, right? We looked all over the place. And then the only place we could find hankies was this factory in China. But the minimum order was like a couple hundred. So we ended up getting a couple hundred and it was like dirt cheap, <laughs> like dirt cheap. Like we were even wondering if they were like poisonous or something. <laughs> Just laced with like anthrax or <laughs> yeah, something. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> we used maybe like six of them for the bridal party. We also got some for the men's. And then we sold the rest on eBay. And they ended up selling like hotcakes. Mm. So then fast forward about, we waited like three years before having kids. She became pregnant. She told me she was going to quit. And then we brainstormed all these different ways to make money that she could just stay at home, right? Then we remembered, well, we went through a bunch of different ideas. I don't know if you're interested in hearing those. They were, I do. We, we wanted to start a Kumans. Have you heard of Kumans? No. It's like, a, it's like a place where Asian kids go to like prep for school and stuff, <laughs> okay. right? That would have been right up my alley. Dream Dinners, which is like a food prep service. Okay. But all these, like the minimum investment for all these ideas was like 500K or so. We didn't want to spend that much. Then we remembered the hankies. So we got back in touch with that same vendor who just happened to still be in business three years later. And then we decided to just start a handkerchief store. And it was tough because my buddies are lawyers, doctors, and engineers. And they'd (laughs) be like, hey, Steve, how's that hanky store doing? I mean, they're trying to be supportive, but you could tell there's like some underlying stuff going on in there. To make things worse, I belong to this program at school. It's called the Mayfield Fellows Program. And it's a VC that basically funds 12 students a year to learn how to start a a company that's funded, that's going to be the next like unicorn Mm. or billion dollar company. And then every year... So it's been like, I've been out of school, what, 25 years now? So 12 kids a year times 25, we all, get a re- we all go on this retreat every single year. And we go around and we share what we're up to. Mm. And everyone's, oh, so Kevin's sister of Instagram is in that group, right? Oh, that's cool. So he'll be, oh yeah, I had a billion dollar exit. Or someone else will have a $400 million exit. Always comes to me, I'm like, still selling hankies, guys. Still yeah. selling hankies. So. That's cool, man. Yeah. And what's it called? Bumblebee? Bumblebee Linens is our store. Okay. And that led to a blog called My Wife Quit Her Job. That was my retirement plan. So, okay, so the the store made 100K in profit in our first year. Couldn't believe it, right? And so my wife quit. And then I was like, I want to quit too, right? And at that time, I don't, have you heard of Steve Pavlina? Name sounds familiar. Okay, he's this personal development blogger. I I don't know what he's doing now. But I was reading his blog religiously. He had this one article that was entitled, How to Make Your First Love Dollar. And it's basically, the the premise basically is, you know, how do you do something that you actually wanna be doing to make money? At the time, he was making $4,000 a day on AdSense. This is kind of like the height of blogging. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, there's nothing special about this guy. I can do it too with mywifequitterjob.com. Yep. And so that's how I started that blog. Ironically, my buddies, like as soon as Bumblebee Linen selling hankies started making money, my buddies were like, hey, I, I want to start a store. Yeah. I want to retire. So I was tired of answering their questions and I just documented all that stuff on the blog. But none of those guys ever read anything. Yeah, of course not. None of them, nothing. Instead, I attracted these random people who wanted to start e-commerce stores and kind of like the rest is history. It led to a podcast, which you already mentioned. It led to an e-commerce conference. It led to a training class. It led to a YouTube channel. I'm on TikTok. Ooh, are you dancing? You know, I took all these dance lessons just for that. And then I realized you don't need to dance. You can just talk. Yeah, you can just talk. Yeah, you do actually well on TikTok. I've seen you on TikTok. Well, you you know, I actually, we can talk about this later, Mm. but uh, social media, I think is probably one of the worst things. I I try not to use it as much because I got teenage kids now. Yeah. And I don't want them on it because I think it's like the worst thing for self-esteem for adults and kids. Yeah. Let's talk about it now, man. Yeah. All right. What's your policy on social media? Well, my kids are still pretty young, so I don't deal with them, but personally, I struggle with it in terms of like, I will easily get sucked into it and I will scroll and swipe for 
hours and hours if given the ability to. And it's like an addiction to alcohol where I'm just like, I just want to go sit on TikTok or whatever, right? So I've had to like put rules in place. So my general rule is I allow myself two hours a day. And in fact, I have a goal. Like I have three goals for quarter one of this year. And one of them is to average less than two hours a day on my phone. And, you know, my texting maps, whatever, those things take up a good like hour and 45 minutes probably. So I'm left with very little. If I spend more than a few minutes on social media, then I don't, I go right past the two hours and then I'm not at my goals and I'm super goal oriented. Do you use an app to track your I usage? I do. In fact, you do? Really? In fact okay. I have it, this is a little tip for everybody. I have it on my desk, uh, what's it called? Uh, lock screen. Okay. So, so the normal screen time app that or screen time feature of an iPhone, you can't do this. So you have to actually get a separate app. You can track your screen time, but I found that it wasn't accurate. Apple's screen time thing, here's what I'm guessing they do. Every time your phone lights up, I think it records it and then rounds up is what I'm thinking that Apple does. I could be wrong on this one, but, but I'll have my phone for an entire day, like testing this, like just sitting there on the counter and I won't touch it once. And I'll be like, you used it 37 minutes today. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't touch it today. <laughs> Like, and I've tested this. So this new, I got the thing I call off, O-F-F, off screen. And that one allows you to put a widget right on your lock screen. So at any point now I can pick it up and look and I can see where I'm at at any point. So that's been probably the single most important little tiny $3 a year tip that I've done so far this year was that little, just put it on my screen. Anytime I grab my phone, I'm like, oh, nope. I'm uh, getting up to two hours. What I'm about not you? A, I'm not as diligent. So, okay. So here's my... I mainly use it just for business, okay. right? You got to be on there, but I don't like social media because you constantly have to post mm -hmm. like the people who are successful on social media. Like I had this one friend who posts seven times a day on Instagram and 21 times a day on Facebook. And if they stop posting, that traffic kind of goes away. Mm -hmm. So for business, like I don't, I don't like it because I want to do stuff where I do it once yeah. and it gives me traffic forever. Yeah. So that's why I focus on Google and YouTube. Yeah. Like I, I have posts like 10 years ago that are still generating a ton of traffic. Yep. I have videos that I filmed like three years ago, steady views every year. And so that's why, you know, what's funny is, you know, when people judge people based on business, first thing you do is look at Instagram, right? Yeah. Would you agree? So it's almost like yep. an ego thing yeah. to build up your Instagram. It is. Right. But it doesn't bring me much money. So I don't focus on it. I don't really care. Yeah. I, I yeah. like that thought process. Yeah. I see the value and the power in building relationships, which is what I do with real estate, right? Like I got to raise money from thousands of people. And so like that Instagram is a way to connect at a deeper level with people. Like once they find me, whether it's a book, blog post, whatever, they find me, I direct them somehow to Instagram. I try to get them onto a text list or an email list. That's probably more, maybe more important. I don't know if it is. What do you think? Email, like the oh, email yeah. list, I think more that's, important the, than social? Like, that's like 90% of my revenue. Okay. Yeah. So long term, like you have to have it, but relationship building, like I don't even open up half, you know, 90% of the emails that I get, right? I'm on Instagram every day. I'm on TikTok. So I think for relationship building, yeah, it's not an either or there's no like, which is more important, I suppose. But yeah. So anyway, so I, I dropped on Instagram, but I, I get sucked in. So yeah, I hired a person recently. I have a full-time shout out to Christina. She is now taking all my raw content and then posting it for me so I don't have to, which is cut down. Now, again, I can do that because I make it back on the back end really easily through social media. Yeah, yeah, But it's a dangerous game. I'll have to reach out to Christina. How much you paying her? <laughs> yeah. I might have uh, to pay her double? Gets, yeah, she gets two Mexican lunches oh, uh, for the month. Okay. So, yeah, you'd have to offer more than that. I don't know if you can Chinese afford that, food. man. Chinese food. I yeah. think I can handle it. Can you really afford that selling hankies, though? I mean, is this, is this a <laughs> profitable business? You're still, you're still selling them today, even despite the we educational are. We side? We actually just bought a warehouse, in fact. So, a real warehouse. A real warehouse. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. A so Bumblebee Linens is actually run by my wife. I just do the marketing and okay. then I got my own stuff. Yeah. Okay. So you side. guys, like it's still, she runs it. It's her thing. There's a long story behind that. So you guys know that we started together. Anyone watching this, I actually don't advise that you work with your wife really? on a business. Why? Things are complicated enough as is. You bring in business into the mix and, well, let me give you an example. So we might have a little argument about the business. And then that leads to something that I did like a year ago. <laughs> kind of like you leaving the toilet seat up. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, and then that leaks in too. And it's really hard to separate it. Yeah. So just to give you an example, we would go on these expensive dinners for like our anniversary and whatnot. And all we do is we'd, we'd bitch about our vendors and how they're screwing us. And we just talk about business the entire time. One time we took a vacation to China to visit our factory. And that was like our couple's getaway, mm, right? How romantic. So, yeah, we used to fight. We never used to fight at all until we started the business. And so once that started happening, my wife was actually the first one to recognize this. So we split all the duties evenly. And, okay, so, so let's talk about ego real quick. So I got an ego, you got an ego. Well, maybe you don't. I don't, I don't, I don't have an ego. I'm, it's hard to have an ego when you're perfect, really. It's like... <laughs> 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 Alex let's is over there looking at me. Show right now. Yeah, let's get Heather uh, on the show. Okay, yeah. yeah. Raging, raging ego. Okay. So I wanted a seven-figure business. Okay. At all costs yep. in the beginning. I remember going on this- Revenue re or profit? Revenue in that case. Okay. Right? In that case. This was back way a long time ago. We have mutual friend Noah Kagan. You know yep. Noah, right? Yeah, he's coming on the show soon. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay, sweet. I remember I had a retreat with him and I told him how I was doing. He's like, dude- you're sitting on a gold mine, you should scale it. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should. And so that year we hit a million dollars. We busted our asses. But that year was actually the year that my wife and I were like on the rocks. Yeah. Big time actually. Because I kept pushing and we made enough money. Like we don't spend that much money. Yeah. Like I'm fruit, I'm cheap. Like, you know that about me. Yeah, right? like how you corrected yeah, frugal to cheap. Uh, fruit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm frugal. No, I'm not. I'm just cheap. I mean, our family spends like, honestly, maybe 150K as a family oh, a year. Yeah. We make way more than that. Sure. Like, so what's the point of making all this money? Yeah. So my wife was actually the one who sat us down and said, hey, whenever you drive all these sales, it's a physical product. It sucks. Mm. Right? You know, when you run a business, like growing really quick actually sucks yeah. big time. So I might do a promotion that like ups our average daily order volume by like 5X and that really sucks. Yeah, interesting. Right? Yeah. So my wife comes home in a bad mood. Everyone's in a bad mood after that. Unless you're willing to staff up and consistently do that, then Which it doesn't really make own, sense. That adds its own degrees That adds of its own headaches. Yep. Right? And I don't know why I was so fixated on hitting that seven figure number way back then. Mm, yeah. But I think anyone who's listening to this can understand. You always want to grow. I'd set revenue goals. We'd hit them. And then we'd move the goalposts the yep. next year. Yeah. Right? And so today we don't do that. For Bumblebee Linens, at least, whatever happens, happens. So back to the ego part. So you know, like, we, we have potential, right? But if you're making sacrifices and not growing to your best, deep down inside, you, you're always questioning yourself, right? Yeah. Could I have done better if I went all in on this? And this kind of goes back to family, right? So my book's called The Family First Entrepreneur. We started these businesses so we could hang out with the kids. Yeah. Right? But have you heard of the four burners theory? No. Okay. The four burners theory states. Four burns? Burners. Burners. Okay. Burn, right, do I have a Chinese accent or something? No. Four, <laughs> four burners. Okay. Health. Health. Family. Work. And friends. Okay. Okay. 
Those are your four burners. What about video games? <laughs> Dang it, the fifth burner. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. I got to rewrite my book now. No, All right, uh, keep going. Keep going. Okay. In order to do oh, wait, one. Health? Sorry. Health? Health, family, family, work, friends. Work, friends. Okay. Okay. In order to do any one thing well, yep. you have to turn off at least one burner. Mm, yeah. If you want to do anything ridiculously well, you have to turn off two. And if you're Elon Musk, you turn off three. Yeah. And it's just all work. Yep. So part of our changes, we're realizing these four burners, right? So back when we were trying to scale our business, we actually turned off our friends and our family burner probably. And you can't have it all is the point, mm. right? And the problem when you can't have it all, you got to pick, right? And, and for me, it was family. It's always been family. But then you question yourself, like if I turned all my burners on work, could I create like an eight or nine figure business. Yeah. And that's tough for someone like me. Like I, I always want to do the best at everything that I do. So what do I do now? What I do now is no revenue goals. And instead I just pick one thing that I'm going to focus on for the year. Mm. And I don't really care how well it does. I just focus my efforts kind of like this podcast that you're starting here, right? Yeah. You're going all out. I mean, like the production value here is amazing, right? Thank you. You're going all out. I'm giving a thumbs up to my crew. I'll, I'll double. I'll double your salaries, guys. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah you, you don't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just go all out. Do it. Whatever happens, happens. So I've done that. So this year it's the year of my book. I'm going all on the book launch. I hired a book launch coach. I'm going to do things right. Try to hit the bestseller list. Yeah. Last year it was YouTube. I just hit 200k subs. Wow. Uh, the year before that it was TikTok. The year before that it was like Facebook ads. On and on and on. Every single year I just do one thing. That's it. I just try to do it well. That's powerful. And as long as I'm interested, like I'm really into it, and I don't, I no longer feel like that ego problem where I'm not like striving yeah. for something. That's good, man. So, yeah, it, it is. There it is this moving goalpost. You said it that way, right? It is that. It's this idea of like, I don't celebrate my wins very well, right? So I hit a goal. I'm like, all right, guys, we did it. Pat on the back. Now we got to do twice as much. And it's like, when is there a rest? When is there like enjoyment? And so I really like the idea of thinking like, Maybe let's scale back. And one way I, I try to do that in my own life is like, we talk a lot about uh, within the Better Life Tribe, which is what I'm running now, is the idea of identity-based goal setting. So like, who do you want to be rather than like what? Instead of saying, I'm going to make a million dollars this year, it's like, well, who do I want to be as a person? Like, I want to be a better husband, a better father, a better whatever. And then I can, maybe I can set some ideas or actions around that or some habits around that thing. But that's what matters more, right? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if I have a million dollars when I go to retirement or, you know, or a billion or two billion or half a billion or like it's irrelevant at some level. So yeah, keeping that in mind is super powerful. So I'm assuming that's a big part of your book. Like the family. I talk about those things. Yeah. I mean, really, why do people start businesses? It's so they can hang out with who they want to hang out with yep. and do things that they actually want to be doing, mm, not yeah. working, right? Money always gets in the way yeah. of everything because it's like a scorecard, right? Yes. Like you go, here's a question I get, hate getting asked. Whenever I go to an event, one of the first questions that I get asked is, how big is your team? Yeah. And in my opinion, the size of the team is irrelevant. Like I make a million dollars in profit yep. on just the blog stuff, which is one VA in the Philippines. Wow. Yeah. Right? That's it. That's amazing. Bumblebee, we, we have, you know, orders to fulfill. So we have three people there, but you can go really far. And I only work 20 hours a week. You can go really far with just one VA. And I, arguably the size of your team absolutely matters. It doesn't matter at all. Yeah. I used to actually run a team. I used to be an engineering director of, of microprocessor design when I was an engineer. I would say that I was forced to hire people because we had the budget. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I'd give them this like tiny piece to work on. 
And that'd be like their only job, just that tiny piece. And honestly, I think me and one other guy could have just done all the work of the group. <laughs> like if we had to, right? Sure. This is like like Twitter, Elon yes, laying off yeah. like all those people. I'm willing to bet that those people weren't necessary. I 100% agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, uh, Parkinson's law, right? Work expands to fill the time allotted for it. It's yeah. like there's got to be another law there. It's like work expands to fill the number of people you have to work on it. Yes. And so if you got 10 people to work on a project, it'll take all 10 to finish that project. And then if you have three of them, like you get it done somehow with those three people, which is an interesting dynamic of, yeah, maybe instead of like there's a, this need, especially as we're trying to grow, you know, multiple businesses here, you know, real estate and the, and the tribe stuff. It's like, I got to hire more. I got to hire, 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 hire. But there's, there's definitely power in resisting that and saying, how do we get this done without hiring more? How do we get it done? I, I think like the word how is like the most powerful word in the English language. Like instead of saying like, you know, just get more people, get more people. It's like, well, how would we get this done with one person? How would we hit our revenue goals with one person or two people or three? You know, whatever the lower number is. That makes a lot of sense. Shifting gears back to the book. What caused you to write the book? Like what led that to that? Our buddy Graham Baldwin. Okay. We were just talking yeah. about him. I love that dude. So I've been blogging for, I started in 2009, so over a decade, Yeah. right? And Grant went up to me, he's like, hey, I just wrote a book. I'm like, isn't that like a lot of work? And he was like, yeah, but I got help. And I was like, help? Okay. And are, do you know Jeff Goins? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Jeff Goins helped me with my book. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And I totally respect Jeff. Yeah, he's, a, like he's a great author and he was a, a joy to work with. Yeah. And I have these like thousand blog posts of all these thoughts that I've written over the years. Yep. And I just needed some help to kind of compile them yep. into like a logical format, right? So all these things that we're talking about now, I've documented on the blog, but it's kind of on the blog, it's like, you know, one post here, one post there. It's like all over the place, right? Yeah. So with Jeff's help, I was able to compose all that into a book. That's great. And I've always, it's always been a bucket list item for me. I literally want to take my kids to the bookstore. I, there's one Barnes and Nobles left in my area. I hope it stays in business. <laughs> long enough for you to go. <laughs> long yeah. enough for this book to come out in May. But I want to take them there. I'm going to say, hey, your dad's a published author. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to do it again. I'm not sure. But it was kind of like this bucket list sure. item. I know you've got like 20 books or something under your belt. Five. But Six. I've kind of enjoyed this process of just compiling everything. Because now I have this. Okay, here's the other reason why I did it. I forgot to tell you this. So my mom in this entire decade has never read a blog post in her life. And she doesn't watch any of my videos, nothing. But when I told her that I was publishing a book by a top five publisher, HarperCollins, like she lit up. She's yeah. like, how, where can I pre-order this? Like, I want to read this. I'm like, dude, how can you haven't read a single thing? Yeah. I'm not going to let you read this book. <laughs> <laughs> but I got props from my mom, yeah. from my Asian mom. That's great. So, yeah, there is definitely yeah. uh, in writing books, there's definitely this real world, tangible, like people can recognize that, oh, that's valuable. Yeah. yeah, my family, I don't think has ever read a video or watched a video or read a blog post or they don't care about any of that. But like this one time I was published, this is great. Like again, for years, I mean, decade of bigger pockets and all these downloads and all the books I had written, even the books they didn't really care about. But then I got mentioned in Good Housekeeping Magazine. <laughs> my name was on there, like page 37 of Good Housekeeping Magazine is like, Brandon Turner said this advice. And that made it real for them. And there was, my mom went and bought every copy she could find. And like, <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. she was so proud of my name in Good Housekeeping because it just made it real. So, so my friends who used to scoff at my handkerchief business, we got mentioned in Forbes and all of a sudden yeah. I got all these props, right? Yep. And we all know like getting into a publication like that yeah, is kind of like a joke, yes. right? Yep. But to the people who aren't doing this stuff, it's actually like a big deal. Let's explain that real quick. Oh, things okay. like that, things yeah. like the Inc. 5000, like all those things, they're not bad, like, but you can, they're not always as real as they seem, right? 
I would argue that they're not real at all. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I don't want to say it, all right? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a lot of pay to play and that's a lot. I mean, I get hit up every week, 10 times on my DMs. Like I can get you into entrepreneur magazine or Forbes or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, you get the right connections and it's either pay to play or you just have a friend who writes for Forbes. Exactly. Yep. Right. Yep. Which for a while I wrote for Forbes and I wrote for entrepreneur and I would reach out to friends and be like, Hey, you want to be in here? Yeah. And like, I never charged them, but I know a lot of people are charging people, which is not good, but they, you know, they do it. So yeah, you always got to read those things carefully. Like, honestly, like I, I'm so down on the media ever since I became a blogger because mm. everything is about clickbait, really. Yep. Right. Getting people it's because they, that's how they get paid. Yeah. So I understand what they're doing. They have to get paid. Yeah. And the only reason to get paid, the only way to get paid is to get people to click and read the actual posts. So. Did you know what my article in uh, I, I won't say the name of the publication, but we'll call it, um, Business Insider. Did you hear about my expose in there? I did not. Oh man, this to, is what, great. what was it about? So I get the, I get all these, all of a sudden I get these texts and calls from all my friends. They're like, "Hey man, some reporters asking me a ton of questions. They want to talk to me about you." I'm like, "Well, that's weird. Like, I'm not doing anything, you know, like cool or shady. Like, I'm like, and I every day, more another friend reaches out, like, "Hey, I'm getting hit up by this reporter. Should I talk to him? Like, what what's going on?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I've got nothing to hide." And so more and more I hear that. And then, I, then the guy reached out to me and wants to talk. And I'm like, I don't, I need to find out he's from Schmizness, Schm Insider. And he uh, wants to talk. And I kind of put it off for a while. And I was like, I don't, I, no good is coming from this. It doesn't sound like it's a, from the questions they were asking, it didn't sound like it was going to be a good article. It was like, you know, you know, has Brandon ever taken advantage of you as a past employee? You know, things like that. It was just like weird what? things. Like, okay. And I'm like, all right. So finally, after he bugs me enough, I, I sit down, you know, over Zoom and I do a two hour call with this reporter. We spent two hours going through my whole journey. Very nice guy. We had a great conversation about my whole life, how I built Open Door Capital, the real estate, how I raised a bunch of capital and how I used the internet to do that and all this stuff. But still, I can't, I just can't get a like pulse on like, what's this article going to be about? So anyway, I don't know, a month later, all of a sudden the article comes out and I think it was called, people can go look for it. It's called Brandon Turner makes a fortune selling a dream. Even he thinks real estate's a terrible idea. What? And there's a picture of me with a big gold shiny tooth. Like literally like they photoshopped a picture of me in front of a bunch of houses with a gold shiny tooth. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, what does that, like, what does that mean? I don't think real, I love real estate. I buy real estate all the time. So I read the article and then I remember as I'm reading it and I read this section in the article, just, and the article was actually very good. It was very like factual. This is my story, journey, whatever. I get to the section and it's, the guy had asked me in the interview, like, you know, what's your tip for people wanting to buy real estate? And I was like, well, if you just go out there and like, you know, close your eyes and throw a rock and try to buy a house, it's going to be a terrible deal. Like you have to know how to analyze deals, get leads, run the numbers. Otherwise it's just a terrible idea. And they took that line and said, Brandon thinks real estate is a terrible idea. And I was like, I hate the media. Like I was like that, my, my empathy toward politicians and actors went so high that day. I'm like, I get it. I don't believe anything the media says anymore. Cause I saw it happen. And like, I don't even think it was the guy, the guy who wrote the article. I think it was somebody else at Schminsider who wanted to get more clicks. Like, how do we get more clicks on this? Let's do a gold tooth on them. Let's make them look like, like the, it was terrible. I don't like the media. Drives me nuts. Man, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Go I would have yeah. shared and yeah, liked it. You know and, what? I'm going to see if I can find the gold tooth picture <laughs> right now while we're, while we're chatting. Let's see. Wait, so did you do anything about it then? Or no, I just like it. And nobody ever did it. Like, it didn't catch fire. Like, you know, that's what they do. They just pump, pump out tons of content. Right. See, and anyone who knows you, though, would know that it was totally false, right? Yes. So, 
Here it is. No, maybe not. Okay. All You'd right, think. You'd think that they would know. Look at that nice <laughs> shiny tooth. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, well, at least did you get any traffic from this? Nothing. I, mean, I got what? nothing. You right. Got nothing. Well, maybe like, it's because it's Business Insiders and behind a paywall now, right? Yeah. And so. this one, yeah, that's one. It's behind a paywall. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Turner makes millions selling real estate investing dreams. Even he says you'll lose money right now. Yeah. Like I didn't say that. Like oh, yeah. I hate clickbait. But that's what it takes now to make money. That's right? what it takes in the industry, like the entire marketing yeah. world and newsprint, like that. They're they're monetized. They make their money off of clicks, and they're paid by the amount of clicks it gets. So. Who cares if it's true? I think that's all going to get disrupted, though. Do you? Yeah, because of AI. Yeah. Well, okay. Have you played around with the new Bing app? Very little. I've been in tons of chat GPT, but not in Bing very much. Okay. I think the Bing app is like a good precursor to the future. Yeah. So now, if you ask it a question, it'll just give you the answer. And I think, you know, all those guys who try to rank and search for yeah, affiliate yeah, yeah. revenue and whatnot, I think that whole thing's going to get disrupted. Yeah, I can see that. I think e-commerce is still safe. So we rank and search for like handkerchiefs and linens and that sort of thing because it'll say, hey, you can get handkerchiefs at these stores, but it only lists the top five. So you basically have to optimize to be on those on that like top five. Yeah. But I think Google is going to get disrupted. Even if they have their own bot, which they do, their whole business model of, of clicks, pay per click is, yep. is going to die. Yeah. And there's a lot of companies like... Bigger Pockets, for example, right? Like they're a large chunk of their, and, and I'll say Bigger Pockets is doing a great job at navigating the safe. They foresaw this coming, but so much of their traffic for years was the clicks. It was SEO, yeah. right? Search engine optimization. So people type in, how do I buy a duplex? And then Bigger Pockets popped up. In the future, when you don't have to go to Bigger Pockets to get the answer because there's AI telling you the answer right there, you don't go to BP anymore. And so what BP has made the shift of is media. So they're now like a really a media company, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't, I mean, eventually AI will make media and then, then we'll all be screwed sure. and they'll make e-commerce and they'll make everything. And That'll we'll take all, a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah, got yeah. some time to that, but like, that was a smart move in that people still want to know opinions of people. Even though we have newspapers, we still watch Fox news or CNN. Cause we want to hear that guy's opinion. Right. Yeah. I stole that from you, Alex. Nothing is original on this podcast. No, no, but people want to people want to hear an opinion, and so I think that yeah, shifting into that. uh, What other trends do you see happening right now in the world? I mean, whether AI is obviously a big piece of it. Any other major trends that people who want to start online businesses of any kind or just work entrepreneurship they they should focus on? Yeah, I I have strong opinions on that actually. So in the content space, I think video you got to do it. Yeah, right. Written word like the written word now like. ChatGPT, it does a really good job. I played around with ChatGPT 4, yeah. which as of this recording just came out like last week. Yep. It does a really good job. It actually does better a better job than my writers. Yeah. So guess what? I think I'm going to downsize my writers. I have an editor and I just need the editor to go and touch things up. Yeah. Right? In e-commerce land, one of the reasons why e-commerce businesses succeed in the U.S., it's because the Chinese people who are running the factories, they can't speak English, they can't market, and they can't write copy. Oh, you're but guess right. what? Yeah. Now that AI there's ChatGPT, that evens the playing field. You're 100% right. right. I didn't think of that. So they can write good copy now yeah. that appeals to humans. And unless you have like a really strong value proposition for your store, you're going to be screwed yep. in the coming years. So that means anyone who just like goes on Alibaba or whatnot, just imports yeah, something as over. is, so, I think that's over. I agree. Yeah. That was my biggest problem. You remember back in the day, I tried to sell wooden sunglasses. Remember I this? did, and kites, right? right? Yeah, and kites too. I yes. still think kites are a great idea. You, okay. you know, All whatever. Right. Wooden sunglasses, though, the problem I had with it was, like, I was paying more 
from China to get wooden sunglasses than what the same factory was selling them for on Amazon. Like I could buy them from Amazon shipped to my house for free, cheaper than what I could buy them for from China. And so what I realized is like there, I was just a fool just buying them retail essentially from like over there. Like had I, and I would actually love to talk about this. Let's talk about my failure here a little bit. Okay. How much time we got, guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me actually pose this to you. Like, what did I do wrong? I tried to start an online business. I even signed up for your course, right? And I watched like three videos. And then, like, <laughs> uh, and then I went and tried to do it. And I even hired somebody to help me do it. And then a year later, I had really made no money and I shut it down. What did I do wrong? Well, a lot I there. think number one is you tried to hire someone to just do it. Like, you know, if you're going to do anything, you got to do it yourself and kind of learn the ins and outs. Every, everything has nuances, right? Yeah. So you just decided to, if I recall correctly, I don't yep. remember. You decided to sell something as is pretty much. Yeah. Without any added value at all. Yeah. And of course, when you do that, if the factory is selling on Amazon, they're going to have the pricing advantage, yep. right? So you either have two options. You can build something that's better, that's proprietary to you. Or you can work on branding. Mm, yep. Right? Which in your case would have been, you know, just going on social media, putting out videos with yep. sunglasses, getting influencers maybe to buy your branded glasses. Yep. And then they couldn't just knock you off. Yep. Right? So you got to do one of those two things. Or what you can do is you put out really compelling ads that appeal to... Have you ever heard of the Life Force 8? I don't think so. Okay. What's that? The Life Force 8 is... All the emotions that you stir up in a human to convince them to buy something. Okay. So I'll give you an example. If your product can appeal to sex, it's going to sell. Uh, have you ever heard of Dr. Squatch, the soap? Yes. Okay. So Dr. Squatch does not sell soap. If you ever watch their commercials, mm, it's yep. really some woman yep. around their guy going, oh, he smells so good. I yep. want to jump this guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're selling sex. And yep. that's why the soap sells so well. 100%. Same goes with anything. I like put it on jewelry, every morning. clothing. I wash, I wash my whole body in it all day, <laughs> day and night. But they got it. Like, just How's like, that working yeah, for you? It's not working real well, man. I don't know. My wife just thinks I smell bad now like a Sasquatch. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. So there's a number of these. There's like protection of loved ones. There's uh, keeping up with the Joneses, like mm, looking yeah. superior to everyone else. And so if Which you can, is like the Gucci bags. Yes, that, that one, exactly. Right? So there's eight of these, obviously, Life Force 8. So if you can appeal to one of the Life Force 8, you will make sales regardless of whether it's just a commodity item or not. Yeah. It's all about the emotions that you can stir up in someone. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I could pull out a thousand things that I did wrong here too, but one of them was I just didn't care. Like I didn't, I didn't have, okay, that's two things. I didn't have a need for it. I was already making good money. I was making tons of money on real estate, book sales, and I had a job. So I didn't need the side hustle. I didn't have that urging. Like I didn't hate my job. I didn't, I didn't have any problem, right? So the why wasn't strong enough, but then really I just didn't care about sunglasses anyway. Now I'm not saying everybody has to care about, and I'd love you, your take on this. Like I don't have to be passionate about, you weren't passionate about linens, right? But I just didn't care about the business period, right? Like I didn't care about it succeeding that much. Versus when I got into real estate, I desperately needed out of my job. I worked at a bank. I hated it. I like, I was miserable. I had no money. I was broke. I had the right why. That's a huge one is that piece of why am I doing this thing? And then am I actually providing value into the world? No, I'm buying a crappy pair of wood sunglasses from China and then trying to sell it for more than I bought it for, which was tough. It's just like... it. It didn't serve anybody. Again, maybe if I did, would have done a better job, like, oh yeah, these lenses are better for this reason, or if I had better marketing, or if I was a big enough brand at the time, I got a big following today, but I didn't then, 
if I was a big enough brand to just justify it by saying, hey, these are cool because Brandon Turner's cool. Yeah. And that wouldn't have worked, but I could have tried, you know? Let's talk about something you just said, the passion part. Yeah. Most people feel like they need to be really into the product that yeah. they sell. But what most people don't realize is that no matter what you sell, it's the same stuff. Yeah. Right? Like my typical day is marketing these things and then getting boxes out the door. Yeah. I could be selling, I don't know, flip-flops and it'd be the same business, yeah. right? So if you go in thinking that you need to be passionate about what you're selling, then you're probably gonna burn out. So my wife used to be really into embroidery. Mm. Like she put like our initials on our pillowcases and that sort of thing. As soon as we started charging for that, which was my idea, by the way, so we could hit seven figures, she started hating it. Oh, yeah. And she started hating that passion. And I actually started taking over that embroidery. I'd come home from work after working like nine hours or 10 hours, and then I'd sew for two hours oh, wow. before going to bed. Wow. Yeah. Those that's are the crazy. early days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. So that's funny. I did not know you sewed. I'm just, I'm, I, I want to do there. what you got to do. Right? Do you still sew in your business at all? Are you done with We the have sewing? an embroiderist now. Oh, an embroider. I didn't know that was that's, a title. Yeah. You got to make it sound good. Yeah. For, yeah. That's wild, man. Okay. So the internet thing didn't work out for me very well. And it didn't until. You know, now today, because I have a following, and this is what I learned from Josh Dorkin. If I could pull, like, I mean, there's a lot of things I learned from Josh. Josh is a guy who started Bigger Pockets, a huge influence in my life. And Josh told me when I was, before I ever worked at Bigger Pockets, before the podcast started, before all of that, Josh called me because I was going to do some volunteer writing. Remember back in the day, the blogs, you just like oh, guest yeah, post yeah. on people's blogs? That's how yeah. we probably met. I'm sure I wrote something for you or you wrote something for me. Probably. We all guest posted everybody. Yeah. I was guest posting for Bigger Pockets, and Josh called me and was like, So, you know, I saw your website, you're starting the blog, it's good stuff. What is your plan? And I was like, Oh, I'm probably gonna start a course real soon and probably like teach people how to buy duplexes or whatever. And he's like, Yeah, okay, yeah, you make some money doing that. Maybe fine, you make, you'll probably do great. And he goes, But you could also build a brand. He didn't say it quite this way, but because this wasn't terminology, but he's like, You could build a brand. In other words, you can get millions of people to know, like, and trust you. And then you can do anything and it's almost guaranteed. And it was really like this like early idea of what Mr. Beast today has done so well, right? Does like just having the brand, he can like, I'm gonna make burgers, I'm gonna make chocolate bars, right? Or Kylie Jenner. I'm just gonna do makeup and be a billionaire because of that. Because like when you have the name, like that AI is not gonna take over that, at least for a lot of long time. If one thing doesn't work, you just launch something else. So today I could probably launch wooden sunglasses today and it'd probably do oh, way yeah. better. It would. Yeah, it'd be sure. like bearded sunglasses and like I'd have a little beard logo. <laughs> Plus I have more money to be able to afford. Oh, and that that's another thing. Like, man, I could go on and on and on. It's my show now. We're just talking about me the whole time, about all my failures. But no, I <laughs> when I hired somebody, I didn't hire somebody who knew what they were doing. I hired somebody who was convenient. And how oftentimes as entrepreneurs do we hire people that out of convenience because they're there? then or because they need a job or whatever so i hired like my brother i love my brother very smart he'd never worked on an online business before never did e-commerce now if i had hired you if i was like hey steve do you want to come run my e-commerce business and i'll pay you what you're worth now you're an entrepreneur so you're high valued but somebody who had been an entrepreneur or i mean a, an e-commerce person for years they might have been able to take that and run with it and they would have been like brandon you're stupid wooden sunglasses aren't a good idea Let's do kites instead. And then it would have done really, really well, you know? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, that was another mistake I'm there. curious what your policy on hiring is. I'll tell you mine first. Please. I try to do everything myself until it becomes painful. Mm. And then I hire someone. But I generally don't hire anything out that I at least don't have high-level knowledge about how it works. Yeah. And that way I can, like, once I do hire the person, I know whether they're doing a good job or not. Yeah. It's a good question. So 
I have a slightly different approach to it that is maybe not so. And we're going to meet, we're actually going to meet around at the same spot. So I've always built businesses the way of like what I call from the bottom up. I think we might have even talked about this on your show once. But like we're from the bottom up, which is where I start and do everything. I'm janitor, I'm house cleaner, I'm CEO, and I'm everything, right? And then like I slowly outsource the things I don't want to do mm-hmm. as I yeah. elevate, right? Very normal way to run a business. And so when I, me and my wife were painting units and drywalling and putting in carpet when we were 22, and then eventually, I, and changing toilets, and then eventually one day I, I got toilet stuff all over me, and I was like, I don't want to do toilets anymore. And so I, I started outsourcing that. And eventually I realized I didn't want to talk to tenants anymore. And I hired her mom to, to talk to tenants on the phone. And I stopped talking to all tenants. So over the course of 10 years, I got myself up to a CEO level where I was like the guy in charge and I didn't have to do most of the work anymore. But then when I built Open Door Capital, I said, well, what if I do the opposite approach? What if I hire from the top down? What if I hire a CEO who's amazing and they can do the whole thing? Now, when I say it's a different approach, but we're meeting at the same spot is I don't know if I could have done that quite that way had I not gone through the journey first. Right. So I know what to look for in a great CEO and I knew how to guide them and lead them because I'd kind of done it. And so I agree with you. I just try to hire amazing people. So, I mean, even here at this podcast, we're here today. Like I got two guys in the room, Alex and Stetson, right? So Stetson, you didn't have any experience with finding guests before. You're not a guest guy. However, he had the character and the skill set I know I need to do it. So I, I could almost say I hired you from the bottom up because you were like the guy getting guests. Like that was me having to call people. And then I was like, hey, can you call people and ask them to be on the show? And then you call Steve and you're like, oh, however, I connected you. And then you took care of it. On the other hand, I got Alex. Alex is like way better than me at video, film, photography, whatever. I don't even know what I don't know. I'm completely clueless. And so then I just like hire him and give him like, three sets of burritos for lunch. And he just comes and builds up this massive studio and thing. And I don't have to worry about it. So I see both those in this like hiring is one, I hire the guy who has the experience. Another one, I have the character. Yeah, Alex, you got character too, but you know. <laughs> Stetson, anyway. I know for a fact that Brandon's not paying you enough. So let's talk after this. Okay? <laughs> We're talking about what? that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, okay. So let me give okay. you my example. Yeah, so please. I'll have students in my class that come up to me and say, Hey, I want to outsource my marketing. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, Mm. How are you going to do that? That's like the dumbest thing that you could possibly do. So they'll go off and they'll hire some SEO person that totally ruins all their SEO and everything because they don't know what to look for. Yep. Right. Whereas if I'm going to hire an SEO person, I know exactly what I'm looking for because I've gone through it at least once at a high level. Yep. So uh, maybe the hack there then is if you want to shortcut your hiring thing, then you have to go to work with Steve and say, Steve, help me find an SEO company. Like, is that good that enough? That works. Yeah. Right. That works. So, yeah, yeah. You're, you're borrowing because you have to have experience to hire. It doesn't have to be your experience, right? right? Yes. You could borrow somebody else's experience. I agree with that. But how many times in business do we, I mean, still today, I'll tell you a real story about this. I had to raise $120 million last summer to buy a bunch of real estate deals. It was the most I've ever raised by like tenfold, like in one shot. It was a huge chunk and I didn't have the list to do it. I didn't know how to do it. But we were just trying, we were starting a Facebook ad thing. We were just, I was putting a lot of stuff on Instagram, trying to build my email list. And then I had a buddy who was helping me with it. He goes, well, have you talked to Ken about this? I'm like, Ken? He's like, yeah, Ken McElroy, like the godfather of syndicating real estate. The guy who done, that's been doing what I'm doing for like 30, since before I was born. He's like, Ken's in the same town right now. He's on vacation in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where I was staying for the whole month. We were both there all month. We'd hung out on a boat twice already. He's like, did you ask Ken? And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't want to bug, I don't want to bug Ken. And the question is, was it true? Did I not want to bug Ken or was my ego getting in the way and I didn't want to ask for help because I don't need help because I'm Brandon Turner. I can do this on my own. And it, he, my buddy called me out on it. You know, you have a good friend when they just call you out on your yeah. crap. And he's like, go talk to Ken. So I took him out to lunch. 
blew my mind. Two hours I'll never forget. Changed my entire business life because Ken just was like, no, there's all things you're doing wrong. Right? It's like I said the quote to you earlier. Find people who make the impossible look like a Tuesday morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ken could raise $120 million in like 12 minutes. He'd just be like, yeah, I got it. So like he just rearranged my whole like business and now we just follow his model and it's way better because I finally let my ego die a little bit. I mean, bit. I do that. Too. Like I hired a book consultant. Exactly, yeah. It was like, not you cheap, said that and I was going right? to dig into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hired a YouTube consultant. Mm. That was not cheap either. Yeah. But these are all recommendations from friends who are killing it. Who are killing it, yeah. yeah. So they can help you find the right person. That's valuable. Yep. Like, that's gold right there. I love it. But my point with that earlier example was you can't hire out something that's your core competency to someone who doesn't care. Yeah. I just think of all these people who hire out for Facebook ad agencies. Mm -hmm. And it's like a game of musical chairs, it seems. Not, I'm not saying that there's not good... Yeah agencies out there but in general like anything that's like your core competency of your business i like to keep all that stuff in-house yeah yeah we do too we try to keep as much as we possibly can and if there's like i need somebody to actually go on facebook and make the ad like fine i'll hire a good oh, you yeah, know, yeah. again get recommendations so like for example when we did that we raised 120 million by the way we ended up you know switching to what ken talked about yeah we actually used facebook ads for the majority of the money we raised which was fascinating really? you know closers.io cole gordon yeah, uh -huh. right so we went to them I, I kept seeing their ads pop up and so for those who don't know what closers does is they find really good salespeople, and then they find companies that are like high ticket mastermind sales or you know whatever like high ticket sales for products or services whatever and then they match them together and they say hey we got a really good sales guy we trained him how to do good you company over there, you need a, you know, you're trying to sell a $30,000 real estate course. Let's match you together. And then they make a fee off the middle. That's one thing they do. Well, I had this idea. I was like, raising money through real estate is really nothing. It's just like high ticket sales. I'm charging $100,000 for my product. It just happens to be you get your money back someday. But it's still, I'm, I'm still selling a product, which is an investment. So we went to their company. I was like, will you guys just train us how you do high ticket sales? Like train my team. That's one thing they do also. So we hired them. They trained our whole team on how to do high ticket sales. Everything from like setters and closers and how to talk to people and overcome objections and everything. And uh, it was phenomenal. Then we just ran Facebook and Google and YouTube ads. Interesting. And drove I, did not, I thought it was just all your friends who were yeah. contributing mm, to this. Yeah, I know. No, what? I got, I got real marketing now. It was, but like all that came from us, like, you know, me and asking for consultants. And then when it was come time to actually punch the button on the ad, yeah, then we hired a, a company that was referred to us who could actually put the ad out there and they did great, but it was still like, if I had instead been like, I'm just going to outsource this entire thing. Hey, random company I found from a Google search, go run my entire ad campaign and try to get me some leads to raise money for real estate. Never would have worked. Yeah. Because I'm outsourcing what I need to be good at myself. Yeah. All right, man. It's amazing. Thank you. I'm an amazing guy. <laughs> so uh, modest. Too. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, you know, if you look at modest in the dictionary, it's just a giant picture of me. It's looking really good. <laughs> the picture uh, I have, you have a gold tooth in. So I don't know. Is, right. is that modest? Gold tooth. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a gold tooth in real life. Today's sponsor is the Real Estate Investing Summit in Maui. Yeah, that's actually the conference I'm throwing here in Hawaii. It's going to be a two-day in-person event at the Grand Hyatt in Kanapali, Hawaii on Maui, May 22nd and 23rd, 2023. This is a dual track event, which means we're going to have two tracks at one time, one for new investors, one for experienced investors. And you can pick whatever one you want to go to. we got speakers lined up like David Green, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, Jay Papazan, investor and author of The One Thing, uh, Wendy Papazan, Tarl Yarber, AJ Osborne, Rich and Kathy Fetke, Brian Burke, and me, of course, and a whole lot more. And while this event is part of the accountability mastermind I run called The Better Life Tribe, we're actually opening up the few remaining tickets for the general population right now. So yeah, that actually means you can come 
if you hurry and uh, get your tickets. And you should if you want to lean into investing in real estate to fund your future. You'll network with speakers and attendees. You'll get a ton of knowledge and wisdom about strategies and tactics that are working now. And you'll make some great friends at the same time. Now look, we only have 300 total spots for the event. This is not one of those huge two, 3,000 person conferences where you get lost in the crowd. This is intimate, powerful, and life-changing. But because it's small, it's also gonna sell out quick. So for more information, if you wanna come, I'd love to have you. Go to reimaui.com. Again, that is reimaui.com. Let's move on or back to the book for a minute. Okay. The book, ultimately what it's about. Family First Entrepreneur, right? Am I saying it right? The family first entrepreneur. That's correct. The family first entrepreneur. Okay. And we're about starting your business with your family in mind. Correct. Here's what I found. Okay. And you can agree or disagree with me. Most of the entrepreneurship advice that you see out there is given by single dudes. Dude. Yes. Who have no responsibilities. No family. Not a care in the world. Fitness guys too, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just go to the gym four hours a day. And then, yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah. It's like, I don't got four hours yeah. a day. I got to tutor math. I got to take my kids exactly. to Russian math. I got to, right? <laughs> SAT prep? Yes, yes. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I found. And like, yeah. these guys that's will work true. like 100 hours a yep. week. I can't do that. Yeah. You can't do yeah, that. Yeah, we got to cram it into these little times. And that's not even what I care about. Yep. Right? So I wrote this book from the perspective of a dad who balances business and family. Mm, yeah. So could I make like an eight figure or nine figure business if I just went all in? We talked about the four burners earlier. Yeah. 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 But family's number one. That's why we started in the first place. My wife reminds me of that. And it's about maintaining your ego because yeah. there's a lot of components to this while still being successful. Mm. And I mentioned this before. Most people, they just want financial freedom, yep. right? They don't want to be rich. Like ridiculously rich. Like if it happened to them, I'm sure they wouldn't mind, sure. but that's not the main goal. Yeah. Like you ask anyone that. Yeah. They want financial freedom. They want to be able to do what they want, when they want, where they want, with yep. who they want. And it doesn't require millions of dollars a year. Does not require yep. millions of dollars a year. I would say actually, if someone can make like a hundred thousand dollars in profit, that's yep. probably good for almost 90% of America. Yep. I lost especially my train you, of Well, especially I'll continue your train of thought. I'm going to take your train and ride it. If you are making a hundred, this is a Tim Ferriss point. He makes it in the four hour work week, right? If you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year and I'm making a hundred thousand dollars a year, but I'm working four hours a week and you're working 50 hours a week, who's actually wealthier and who has more, like who's more successful. It's the guy working less hours, right? Cause like do- your dollar per hour is significantly higher. And so, yeah, there's this definite, I mean, I felt it. I used to stay in like my car when I travel and then we just cause it was cheaper. And then I started staying in motel six and then a super eight. And then it was like a, a Hilton and then it was a Marriott and now it's a Four Seasons. And now that I find that there's like montage or I'm like, oh, there's this whole new, there's something better than the Four Seasons. Like, oh, I got to try that now. So I'm staying in one of those like in July. And it's like, wow, I should travel like by car. And then it was like airplane. And then it was first class. And now I've got this private jet membership. And like, how do you stop? Because that's what, and then because of that, I have to then keep working more and more hours or build more and more business. And so it's this creep, this income creep that creeps in and the goalpost just keeps having to move to be able to justify it. How do you stop that? How have you stopped that? Ha. So what's funny is uh, up until last year, I had never flown first class mm. and I still, yeah, I don't like things. Yeah. But so my wife booked me on first class because she was like, this is the next big thing you should enjoy. I did not want to do it because I don't want my, like you get to the same destination no matter what. Yep. And if I don't have like a meeting early morning or yeah. whatever, I don't care. I'm still getting there, right? 
So she books me on first class. I'm on it. I'm like, this this isn't that great at all. How much yeah. did you pay for this? Yeah. I was like, whoa, oh, whoa, yeah. this is definitely not worth it. Yeah. So I purposely don't go luxury unless my wife wants it. Yeah. But for me, like all I care about really is just doing what I want. So I'll spend money on experiences yep. and just not stuff in general. Like if you look at our house, it's it's a good house. We're going to probably stay there, but it's not like a mansion. We could probably get a mansion. But then you look at my friends. One of my buddies just bought a $6 million house. And this is before all the layoffs happened in the high tech sector. Yep. So he didn't get laid off, but his wife did. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, this mortgage payment yeah. is like my entire salary. Yeah. Whereas before they didn't think about that because they were getting bonuses. Yeah every single year, but I don't think they're going to get a bonus this year because yep. things are bad, right? So you put yourself in these situations where you're stretching, which it's funny. When I was a kid, my parents always told me to stretch financially, yeah. right? In real estate, ironically. Yeah. Oh, really? Right. They told me to stretch because it all worked out in the end. But I think in this case of my friend, I think he might have overdone it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And it is easy to overwhelm. Because what people tend to do, especially entrepreneurs, I see this, is, you know, you go through peaks and valleys, right? And it goes up and down and up and down. And then people base their livelihood and their lifestyle off the peaks, even though like it's never that way, right? So they make 100,000 one month and they make 30 and then they make 40 and then they make 20 and then they make 80. And so they just start living like they live, make 80 every month because they in those 80 is when they buy the, they, they're feeling really confident, feeling really good. And then they're like, well, I just made 80 grand this month or whatever the number is, right? Like, well, I can afford that boat. It's only $300,000. The payment on that is only eight grand a month. And I just made 80, no problem. And so they, they base their spending choice off of what they made on the peak. And then all of a sudden the next month they're making 30 grand. They're like, oh shoot, you know, a quarter of my entire income's on this boat payment. I see that with entrepreneurs all the time. So yeah, I, I try to set the baseline at the, at the minimum, at the valley. Like where's the minimum that I'm going to ever be that I've been at for years? Let's make that, let's make decisions on that point and not on the peak. Well, what I do is I just pay myself what we need to live and then the rest yeah. is just gravy, right? Yeah. Okay. You asked me something earlier. I want to retouch on it, please. which was profit or revenue. Remember you asked oh, me yeah, that yeah. question? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people like revenue is like the vanity number, right? Yep. I just recently did the math on this maybe three years ago. And let's just throw some numbers in the wicks. I don't normally like to do public math, but I'm Asian. So I'm <laughs> let's hear it. The average margin for own. an e-commerce business okay. is 10%. Okay, yeah. Okay. It's a little low for like an Amazon business, but that's the official number, 10%. So let's say you sell something for a hundred bucks. That means you're making $10 in profit, right? Yep. So most people don't price themselves high enough, right? So if you were to increase your prices by 1% and you're making $101, your profit's 11 bucks. That's actually a 10% increase. Yeah. Right? If you increase your prices 5%, that's a 50% increase in revenue. Yeah. All right. So let me get to my point. So most people, when they sell, the revenue number is what they focus on. Mm -hmm. So they'll like discount stuff just to get more revenue. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed, did you ever actually launch a product on Amazon? Uh, it was there. Yeah. There? It was okay. There. It wasn't like us were there. So Amazon, even if you get a refund, the number is still in your revenue. Really? Yeah. And there's a lot of different things like the fees and whatnot. It's still reflected in your, in your revenue number. And Amazon always encourages you to run sales because sales always lead to a surge in revenue, revenue. right? So let's do another scenario here. This one will take a little bit more math. Let's say you sell something that's a hundred bucks and it costs you 50 bucks. So your margins are 50 bucks, let's say, right? Yeah. Most people on Black Friday, they'll give out like a major discount. So let's say you give out a 25% discount, which means 
you're selling this for 75 bucks. It costs you 50 bucks. So your profit is 25. Okay. Let's say on a typical day, you sell a hundred widgets in a typical day without the discount. So your typical profit is 50 times hundred or 5,000 bucks. Let's just say. Okay. Okay. Now, if you run that black Friday sale, 25%, you're only making $25 to make that same 5,000 bucks. You now need to sell double yep. what you do, right? Once I did that math, I'm like, why am I running this Black Friday sale? Unless it can literally double the amount of sales that you can yeah. get, it's just not worth it. But people just get hung up on this revenue number yep. and they don't charge enough because they think that low prices are going to lead to more revenue. And those two forces cause people to not be profitable. So you're in a lot of mastermind groups, right? Yeah. I was once in this mastermind group. And this guy, he was, I think he was making like a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue and he was making maybe 50% of that in profit, which is great margins, right? Yep. He wanted to hit seven figures like I did. And so he strained, he worked hundred hour weeks to get seven figures, but his profit actually ended up being the same. Yeah. Meanwhile, do the same thing. he had this large staff that he had to keep feeding yep. every month too. And he was just miserable. We find that in real estate sometimes. Like I have some friends that, you know, they'll flip, buy and fix up a house and then sell it and they'll flip. 30 in a year, and then they'll double it and went to like 60 in a year, and then 80 in a year. On almost every case that that's happened where a friend of mine, they make less money than they did when they were doing 30 or 20 or 10. Like as they scale, their profitability actually goes like over, like not just per house, but like overall down. They make less money. So it's way more of a hassle to manage that many people and they make less money. But there's a certain ego in saying I flip 80 houses a year versus two, even though you might make more money if it was you were just doing two. I mean, there's other reasons to scale maybe, but like, yeah, really keeping that in mind for entrepreneurs is like, do I really need this? Do I really want this? Yeah. Super important. Well, so the family first entrepreneur focuses on profit, yeah, not revenue. And I used to be an engineering director. I used to run a team. I think people underestimate how much work it is to keep people happy. Oh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> true. Right? Like when I was a director, I would say like most of my problems had nothing to do with work. Yeah. It was people's personal problems or they had problems with someone else at work and I had to just make everyone get along. Yep. And my job literally was talking the entire day, making sure the different groups liked each other so they'd actually cooperate. And that was my job. I stopped yeah. doing coding, which yeah. is what I liked doing. Yep. And just dealing with people. Yeah. Yeah. More people leads to more complexity. I mean, I even see it like, I mean, in my own house, like I have a, I have like people that come like every other week and help clean our house. Like they come and do all the, the hard cleaning. That's like the, whatever on top of the ceiling fans and the windows and all that. I'm like, okay, well, it's, you know, it makes my life easier to have people come help clean. They clean the toilets and stuff. It's like very, very thankful for them. Right. But then I got to manage them to be able to show up. Then, and now I have a guy named Austin who's awesome. He's amazing. He comes and works on all sorts of projects on my house. He's a full-time contractor, just working on my property and some of my rentals on, uh, on Maui. But now I got to make sure he's got enough work to do and he knows what he's doing all the time. And then I've got somebody that helps with the kids, babysitting the kids. Now I got to coordinate them and make sure they show up at the right time and all the things are going right. So it's just like this. I hire people to make my life easier, but it actually doesn't always. In fact, it adds just like this underlying stress, this payroll, this frustration. I'm not going to get rid of them anytime soon, but like it's definitely something to think when people just scale, scale, get bigger, get bigger. That's not always the answer, right? I think the question is what you want. Like if you want to scale, you have to hire, right? Yep. But there's this period and we've kind of hit it with our business. Like if you want to go from, let's say five to like 15 million, yeah. that's like a big step versus going from zero to 1 million yeah. or 2 million. I think getting to like two or 3 million, you can do it on like a lean staff, yeah. right? But then you have to ask yourself whether you want to go through that pain of going beyond that point. Yeah. 
And again, it just depends on how much you want to make and what you need, right? Like if you need and you have this desire to go to that painful route and creating that team, which once you have it, it can be amazing, right? But that pain of scaling to that number, you need to make that decision. And if you have a family and you want to focus on family, I think it's going to be hard. It reminds me of that story, Jay Papazan and Gary Keller in The One Thing, the book, The One Thing. Have you read that one? Yeah, Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, they have that story in there where they're talking about glass. I think he's actually quoting like a Stephen King book, but they're talking about these balls. Yeah, like you're juggling a lot of things, work, family, health, relationships, all the stuff you're juggling. But he says some of those balls are made of glass and some are made of rubber. And so you can drop some of them and they'll bounce right back. Like your career, your job, your business, like especially when you have kids, right? Like family first. When I no longer have kids in the house, I'll be able to work 100-hour work weeks. And I might want to because that might be fun. But right now, that is a glass ball that I'm not allowed to drop. And same with the health, right? Like you can sacrifice your health and not eat right and because you're trying to like, you know, make money. But that doesn't bounce back all the time. So yeah, just keeping that in mind is... Well, let's talk uh, about health real quick because uh, I had profound gains once I started focusing on eating right. We were talking about the four burners theory. Yeah, yeah. If you increase your health burner... Like that gives you more fuel for your other, for the other ones, right? Yeah. I discovered this in 2014. I think it was my buddy, David Seitman Garland. He got a six pack and that was something that I always wanted. Yeah. And I was like, how did you do it? Before I asked him, I was just doing sit-ups, yeah. eating the same, just doing sit-ups. And he said, oh, it's all about what you eat. And once I started eating right, and we just had lunch here. Normally I don't eat a burrito, but. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yep. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Awkward. Uh, just a I little I mean, I indication a, of how you eat normally. I Brandon, had a salad. But, uh, I don't know what you had. Um, you know, <laughs> and fr- salad and fries, right? Oh, Is that yeah. what you had? Oh, I didn't. Uh, I had no fries today, but it wasn't a salad. It was a bowl, and that's not very good for you. Whatever. But it's amazing, like it. what you can accomplish when you don't get food coma. Uh-huh. And so I cut out carbs for the most part. That's yeah. how I did it. And I got that six pack for only like a month. It's actually impossible to maintain unless you, right, yeah. unless you really eat right. But once I cut out carbs, like I'm super productive. I can go all day yeah. and be super efficient. Yeah, same. And so that's like the first thing I would focus on actually. That's really good. Yeah. All right. So that's your best health tip. Let's talk family tip. You got two kids. They're very smart yeah. and they're no, okay. two kids, right? I got two yeah, kids. Two kids. They're very gifted, smart. What's your advice for me with somebody with younger kids? What do I do next? Here's the thing. Here's what I believe. Like your kids aren't going to realistically want to hang out with you all the time. Like I'm, I'm around all the time. I think you just have to be present, Mm. right? They're not going to want to hang out with you all the time. And you're probably not going to want to hang out with them all the time. You know, the people who talk about family, like, yeah, it's not realistic, but as long as you're there for them. So I go to all their games, I go to all their performances. And as long as they see you there, that actually means something. Cause I know I, I mentioned my parents were first generation immigrants. So they didn't actually go to my volleyball games as often as would have liked. And my friends would see their parents on the sidelines and I'd look over and they weren't there. And I always remembered that. Not that I blamed them for anything, yeah. but I remembered that to the point where like, I'm not missing anything. So my daughter was in The Sound of Music. I was in the front row for all of those performances, oh, every single that. one of them. That's good, yeah. man. Just being present, like just so they can see you sometimes enough. You know, I reminds me of a, uh, a buddy of mine, Kasim, who I plan to get on this podcast at some point soon. He told me this really profound thing. And it's so simple. He said, he's got young kids like me. So like three, four, five, I don't know, somewhere in that range. He said, when I walk by them, they always say the same thing to me. Daddy, can you play with me? Daddy, will you play with me? And he's like, I always say the same. He would always say, I can't. And I do the same thing to my kids. Like, I go, I can't right now. I'm working. I can't. I'm on a phone call. I sorry. I got to go to do this thing. I'm always in the middle of something when I walk by them. He said, just give them one minute. He's like, one minute to fill their cup. 
And so he said, even if I'm in the middle of a call and I had to run to the restroom real quick and the, and the guy's waiting for me, he's like, what's more important? One minute with my kid or one minute with that person I don't know on, a, on the other end of a Zoom call. He's like, so I give him one minute and I sit down with my kid and I say, okay, I'm going to play with you for one minute. Then I go by my call. And the kid's always excited. And he's like, nine times out of the 10, that one minute's enough. They don't even care after. It's like, thanks, dad. And it, like, you just filled their cup up real quick. And so it's, again, it's not always about I've spent six hours playing Legos with my kid and now I spent quality time with them. It's just are you available? Do they see you? Do you mm-hmm. acknowledge them? Give them some, like, fill that cup up and then move on. So, yeah. I actually remind them constantly, like, their life is not normal. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever they need something, I'm there and they'll just yep. ask for it. We're not always hanging out 24-7, but I just remind them that that's not normal, right? Mm-hmm. The lifestyle that we created allows them to just have me always available. So, like, my daughter, she's a setter for her team. And I used to set for my volleyball team. So she'll just ask me in the middle of the day, hey, will you just set with me? I'm like, yeah, of course. I'll go set with you. Yeah. Or we'll just go set up the net and I'll set for her if she wants to hit and that yeah. sort of thing. And it doesn't take long. It's not every day. Yep. But, you know, when she asks, I'll say yes. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want, you know, I don't want to be the, like, obviously the spoiled parent thing, but I want my kids to know that, like, I say yes to them. That, like, daddy's not always too busy to say yes or to take a minute to play. And it's easy to forget that because I'm just so busy with like, oh, I got to do that call. I got to do that podcast. I got to do that meeting, whatever that is. And uh, yeah. I mean, tough. it got so bad with me that one time, and this is when I was trying to hit seven figures. Yeah. We went to Disneyland and my wife snapped a picture of me checking email on the Dumbo ride. Oh. There's a, there's a picture. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, this has got to change. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's rough, man. So. Uh, all right. So we covered, we've covered a lot of stuff. Business, fitness parenting, marriage. You know, you give some marriage advice. Don't work with your spouse. But what else you got for me there? For marriage? Yeah, marriage? Okay, so this is our 20-year anniversary this Congrats, year. Congrats, man. Okay, I'll tell you a story that I probably haven't told anyone yet. Mm, but uh, there was a point where things weren't good. And you kind of get into this situation sometimes in marriage where like, you're mad at this person and they're mad at you, and it just kind of spirals, you know, because no one's willing to give in. Yep. And we kind of got in that mode when we were running our business. And then I'm just going to give a shout out to my buddy, Tall. He was like, hey, Steve, you should have the conversation with her and just tell her how much you appreciate her. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. We're fine. We're good. Like, we're not fighting or anything, but we just weren't, like, communicating as well. So this guy, Tall, he literally would call me, like, every other day saying, hey, did you have the conversation yet? Did you have the conversation mm. yet? Did you have the conversation yet? This was during COVID. And I was like, fine, I'm going to have this freaking conversation. And so my wife and I, we went on this walk and I told her, hey, you know, I really appreciate, I just want to let you know, like, no matter what, I, I really appreciate everything, how you're there for the kids, everything that you do for me, how you're so considerate about everything. 180 after that. Wow. Her attitude changed. She was no longer like yelling at everyone. My attitude changed because I wasn't getting yelled at anymore. And it's been great ever since. So my advice would be to just take some time just to s- express gratitude yeah. for who your spouse is. Cause I'm not good at that. Like Asians don't do that. Asians don't believe in therapy. They don't believe in, <laughs> they don't believe in talking to people, like, you know, like feelings. Yeah. Like it's, it's just the way I was raised. I, I, I don't want to speak for all Asians, but it's just the traditional <laughs> upbringing is, you know, you hide your feelings, you, you yep. bury them. Right. Yeah. And that's bad. Yeah. Especially bad for marriage. So it's I acknowledging, yeah. yeah. Acknowledging somebody and saying, thank you. Like, just goes so far. Yeah. I've had jobs in the past where like, they just don't, all I want to do is be acknowledged. Like it's not even about in the workplace. I'm just like, just tell me I did a good job. Like that's all I want to know, but I don't want to say that. That's weird to say out loud. 
to like, it's a good thing to know as an entrepreneur, as well as a husband and a father, just acknowledging like, Hey, I'm grateful for you. I saw what you did there. That was a cool thing. You know, appreciate that. Just go so far for people in relationships. And I think everyone has their own buckets, right? Like the, yeah. the love languages. Yep. My wife just happens to be words, words of, of affirmation. Of affirmation. Yeah. yeah. So just got to figure out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I want to shift to the last segment okay. of the show in just a minute. But first, I can't let you out of here because it's not often we get a world-class educator of online business here. So give us just a quick like, hey, I'm a newbie to the world of online e-commerce. I want to make money online. What do I do besides sign up for your course? What do I do? Give me some okay, advice. Okay, so give me some parameters. How much oh. money do you have to invest? Uh, I've got How much time do you have to invest also? 20 grand and 20 hours a week. 20 grand? Okay, 20 grand is, is a lot of money. Okay. All right, so I'll say this. If your time frame to making money is like a year, mm-hmm. then I would say go e-commerce. Okay. Sell a physical product, something tangible, and you'll get money in return. If you have a runway of at least three years, I would say go content all the way. Okay. Establish that brand. Yep. Take your time, put out videos, have that audience. And as you mentioned earlier, you can sell anything. Like I, because of my audience, I feel like I could sell anything today. Really. It could be a book, which I'm trying to do right now. It could be a course. It could be, it could be anything. E-commerce, you start making money faster, but I think it, it's more linear. Whereas with content, it's like slow as heck. Like I didn't make any money for like the first two years on the blog, but then all of a sudden it hockey sticks. In my opinion, it's better long-term also. Agreed. So those are the two scenarios there. I like that. It just depends on what your time frame is. No, say I want to do e-commerce. How do I find an idea? Okay, so the best advice I have to give in an idea is to just look at the problems that you have. And I know you got lots of problems, so Tons you should have them. no problems finding yeah, something. Yeah, the back but... acne is getting rough, man. <laughs> you have a product for that. <laughs> Great, now I'm going to be thinking about that the yeah, rest good. of the interview. I'll just give you an example. I play Ultimate Frisbee. That's one of the ways that I love that game. That I uh, stay in shape. You want to play right now? I do. I would. I, I would love to because the weather has sucked down here recently. Mm. But anyways, so sometimes I play at night. Hands get cold. There's no Ultimate Frisbee gloves out there. Mm, yeah. Well, there you can get gloves. You can get like goalie gloves for soccer and football, okay. but they're just too thick. Yep. You know, like if you want control, they, they need to be really thin. So there's an idea right there. That's good. Right? Yeah. To find out Everyone has got problems or, or I would say sell a product that you have knowledge about. Not yeah. passion, but knowledge. Like you're into real estate, right? And you know a lot of stuff about real estate. So if you could sell something that's related to real estate, yep. which is your area of expertise, it'll do well. Yeah. I talk to people about this a lot, actually, is this idea of like people come to me and they want to buy real estate. They want to buy rental properties. They say, I want to do what you do. I want to buy rental properties. Teach me what to do. I want to know your thing. And a lot of times like they've got 15, 20 years experience in a career whatever that is, maybe they're in the food service industry, or maybe they've done, you know, manufacturing, whatever the thing is, they've been doing that forever. They might be successful making really good money there. And then they want to start all the way over back at the bottom with rental properties and start at zero, which, I mean, you know, almost every business just takes like a decade to really get good at, you know, it takes forever to get good at anything. And so they just want to start back over with rentals. And I'm, I'm always encouraging people actually against rentals or against real estate. I'm like, before you go there, like, let's look at your, what you're already so invested in. Like you're amazing at manufacturing robotics for whatever, for this company. Is it easier to try to build, you know, zero to a million dollar a year off robotic manufacturing? Cause that's what you know, and you have all your contacts and everything. Or is it easier to go start with rental properties starting with, you know, of course it's the robotics. Like they're going to almost for sure. Now, sometimes they hate it or they just are tired of it or they say they're not passionate about it. But then the thing about passion, you mentioned passion and I, and I always think this is so interesting. I did a keynote once and this was a big piece of it was, 
The word passion, we use it all the time to mean like interest. Like I'm excited about this thing. I'm passionate about this thing. But then how does that make sense when we say the passion of the Christ? The story, you know, when we mm-hmm. talk about Christ, it was the passion of the Christ. What does that mean? Like Jesus wasn't excited about dying. So what is passion? So I looked this up and I found this out that passion, like the root word of that means to suffer. That's why we say the suffering of the Christ. So when we say passion, we've kind of modified it over the last little while to think it means like, or like, I want to do this thing because it fires me up. But it's not. It's what are you willing to suffer for? Like, I'm passionate about my wife. I don't always like my wife. I'm passionate about my wife. And I will always suffer and do the work necessary to maintain a good relationship because I'm passionate about it. So I would encourage people to reframe, like, I'm not passionate about linens. You don't have to be. But are you going to suffer for it? Like, are you going to work hard? Are you going to stick with something long enough to make it work? And then what you said is kind of elevate your thinking. You don't have to care about the linens. What can you be passionate for? What can you suffer for? People, systems, processes, business. Well, I, I think you have to be, it's all about the purpose, yeah. not mm. the passion. So mm, my purpose yeah. was so we could stay at home yeah. with the Oof. kids. Purpose and over passion. And as long as you have that purpose. That's a book right there. Purpose over passion. There you go. You said you weren't going to write a book. I got a perfect book, book cover are. for you. For oh, this. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I saw your early one. Oh, no, I'll, I'll do my own. I can't wait for your book because, uh, you know, it's phenomenal. Phenomenally designed. They call by me Chufucius. It's, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of wisdom. They in call there. you that, really? Oh, weird. Someone started calling me that. Actually, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I went with. Yeah. It. Your wife's a doll. She's great. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the last segment of today's show, and I don't have a name for the segment yet. We'll come up with one. But it's three sets of three questions. Okay. I'm gonna throw all the match you right now. The first question, first set of it's three sets of three. First one, three things you've done in the past year. That has improved your life. And that can be a, a thing you bought, an action you've taken, a habit, a belief, three things that you have changed or done in the last year that has given you a better life. Okay. So the first one has been to make videos with my kids. Now, yeah. we did this in the context of promoting my book, but okay. just the process of making these videos has been really fun for the family. And now we have something that we can look back on. That's cool. Like years later. I had resistance early on, actually. Like the kids are like, oh, I don't want to be on camera, or whatever. Mm. But you get them to do it. And it's hilarious. Yeah. It like brought us closer together. I love and it. And they're hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. You should check them out. They're on my Facebook. If you guys don't follow me on, on Instagram, my wife quit. You can my watch some of them. My wife quit. Okay. You can watch some of them. Okay. So what else have I done recently? I stopped working afternoon now. Wow. So I just wake up a little earlier and then I go hardcore till about noon. Actually, I had to do this out of necessity just to be fair. But then the whole afternoon is reserved for other activities, mainly shuttling my kids around right now yeah. and then just being present for them. But I think, I don't know about you, but the mornings are my most productive. Yeah, same. Like as soon as I wake up, like uh, amazingly creative. Yep. In the afternoon, not so much. Yeah, that's really good. To expand on that and I'll, I'll bring it back to you, but I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately about the rules that we give our life, if you don't give yourself, like if, teenagers, if you have teenagers, you don't give them rules, they're just going to go crazy, right? You give them like boundaries, but we can do that with our schedules as well, right? If you give yourself a rule, like I don't work before this time and I don't work after this time, all of a sudden now you will, like it's Parkinson's law, yeah, same yeah. thing, right? You'll I'm going to get the, everything. yeah, you'll finish it. You'll get it done. So just asking yourself, what are the rules at which I govern my life? Like, what are the rules at which I govern my work? What are the rules at which I govern my family? Like, what will I do with my wife? What won't I do? What will I to do with my kids? And what won't I do? These like Establishing rules. I think that there's a book concept somewhere there that I'm playing with. How can we set those rules? And the, the analogy or the metaphor I use that when I'm like speaking, I talk about this a little bit. I start this story and I love the story because I start with a few years ago, I was driving and I got T-boned. This is a true story. I got T-boned, like full speed T-boned, fast as the vehicle would go hit me right on the driver's side. 
And I look up and it's a five-year-old kid driving and he's laughing hysterically and he backs up and he drives off. And then I start laughing as well because we're in the bumper car section of the Mall of America, right? So like, it's a joke, right? Laugh. Yeah, yeah, all, right. Yeah. all right. Sorry, sorry. sorry. I, I was getting serious for a second. I'm like, okay, where's he going? No, yeah, we're, yeah, okay. So yeah. I go from that. All right. Thank okay. you. Thank you for your pity. Got, got, uh, I got to work on the, uh, the You know what? I'll get the one. delivery. All right. <laughs> Hold on. We're on a podcast. So, I got all serious. And, oh. yeah. <laughs> so I get the idea of like bumper cars, right? And then I contrast that with the idea of a go-kart. Where go-karts, you're in a similar type of vehicle, but you're going like, you know, 50 miles an hour. Now, what's the difference in a go-kart besides the engine? Let's keep the metaphor not too complicated, but besides the engine and the general vehicle itself. Well, the difference is with a go-kart, you have rails on the left and right. And the rails that keep you from going too far this way and too far that way, they keep you from hitting people. That is what enables you to go fast. It doesn't hinder you from going fast. So when you add those things like I only work between whatever, 6 and 12 or 8 and 12 or 10 and 12 or 11.59 and 12, whatever, the, like these are the rules I operate in. They allow me to go faster, not slower, because that's no longer random, right? There's the metaphor I'm I working like on. Did you steal that? I, from... I stole it from nobody. <laughs> okay. This is my metaphor. Thank you very much. I probably stole it from somebody. Everything I like that, stolen. though. Isn't I like that, that a lot. I yeah. might steal it. You can steal it, man. I'm going to steal it. It's going to be a book someday. I always advertise the Turner technique. Remember the Turner technique? Do you remember? What was it? Do oh, yes. Okay. I do remember. Explain. No tell one, people, people how genius aren't going to care on this Tell podcast. people how genius I am. Uh, they want to know. All right. So Brandon just mm. emailed me out of the blue and said, hey, if you want to double your email subscribers, <laughs> you remove the border around your email form and make it blend in with the content. Yeah. You remember that, right? I do. I did that. And yeah. it literally doubled the conversion rate on that email form. <laughs> so now yeah. whenever I go on a podcast and I talk about it, I the call it the Turner Technique. Well, thank you. I, I always preface it by saying, have you heard of the Turner Technique? Yeah. And they're like, no, no. What? You don't, you <laughs> no never, one's heard of the Turner Technique. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Okay, so we got one. We got the... So we got two. We got so two. We got one more. Okay, so this last one is probably my favorite one. I try to have at least two perfect days a week. So what is a perfect two day? Two perfect day, yeah. A perfect day is one where I'll have like lunch with my wife or go on a walk with my kids or play tennis or volleyball or something like that. Like you can't have... Every day can't be like that. Yeah. But I just try to have at least two days out of the week where it's kind of bliss. Yeah doing something that I want to be doing. That's great, man. I love that. One thing that we do inside the Better Life Tribe, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, where like you get the results of what you repeatedly do. So a big piece of the tribe is anybody who's in this mastermind, they write down their like five to 10 habits or actions that they want to do repeatedly throughout the week. So mine are, you know, a few of mine are wake up by 6 a.m. Because I know my life is better when I do that. Uh, one of them is, did I do my morning routine, like miracle morning stuff, mm -hmm. right? One of them is, did I get 10,000 steps? Did I work out? Like, so I've got these, this list. And not all of them are every day, but I write down the number of times that I want to accomplish this in the week. It's like seven times, you know, for the wake up by 6 a.m., five times I want to work out, you know, three times I want to, one of them stretch for 15 minutes. Did I stretch for 15 minutes at least three times in the week? So, so think of like a, a graph or now what do you call it? A spreadsheet, right? So I have all the things going down, all the tasks, and then I've got all these days of the week. And I just simply do check or minus. Did I do it? Did I not do it? Hmm. But I also kind of try, I want, I want to get a perfect day. That's what I call a perfect day is like. These are things that I have defined as this makes my life better. When I, everything from, yeah, from the moment I wake up 6 a.m. to the last one on the list is that I pray with my wife before going to bed. Right. Everything in between. That makes my life better. I have decided that, that that makes my life better. So yeah, if I can get a perfect day, that's a, that's a freaking good day. I rarely get perfect days. Like I'm not good at this, even though I'm the one teaching Just it. one a week. Yeah. That's if I even had one a week, I'd be like, hot dog, that's a good day. Like that's a good day. That's a day I can be proud of. And then over the course of a life, I'm trying to get better and better. Like I will, like I will get more and more perfect days and I'll never be a perfect person, but 
Yeah, that's the idea of the Better Life Tribe. is getting better every day. I got one more. Please. Always devote rules. at least one day out of the week for just thinking. Yes. I do that on Fridays. Mm. It's my thinking day where I kind of plan out what I want to be doing at a high level. Because I know for myself, like, I often get into the weeds of what needs to get done just to kind of tread water, so to speak. Yeah. Like, every week I got to publish this amount of content yep. and do all this stuff. And sometimes if you just focus on that stuff and fighting fires, you lose track of, like, where you want to go. Yeah. So every week, just one day. Friday is my thinking day. I love it. I've even played with the idea on that note. So, so I, I'm really bad, really bad at doing that, even though I know I need to, right? So like, I'll say, I need more thinking time. I'll put up my calendar, thinking time. I'll take half a day or whatever, and I don't do it. I get caught up in the house, kids, whatever. So I started scheduling a massage, like a 90-minute massage once a week. And Because now she's at my house, like some masseuse lady, right? And she's like, there's the massage bed, lay down. So like then I... I actually do it and it forces me to do it, but I might take it to a whole new level. And this is like ridiculous, but I feel like I need to is start scheduling a weekly flight to LA from Maui. It's like six hours there, <laughs> six hours back. And I'm like, I, I might not do it every week, but I might do it like once a month, just fly to LA and then fly back the next morning. And it just, it's one day, once a month where I am forced to like no kids, no cell phone, no internet even. And just like think, plan, strategize. Is that a word? Strategery. Strategery. Alex is shaking his head. Yes. So good. I it's easier for me to do that because I have the house to myself. My kids are older than yours. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. My kids are in my one kid is in meltdown phase right now. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's a, that's a, I don't, I don't battle. miss that period. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm going to be sad when it's gone, but here's an interesting thing. At every age my kids have ever been, I wonder if it's true for you as well. At every age they've ever been, I'm always like, I'm going to be so sad when they're past this age. I love this. I don't want them to grow up. I love them right here. This is perfect. And then like six months later, they're a different person. And I love them there just as much, if not more, right? It's always getting better. Do you feel like that? Like your kids, like always? I think the golden years were when they turned four. Really? Four until now, yeah. best. Okay. Yeah, it just gets better. It's I just, early, it's hard. Problem is you have a short memory. That's true. And then you have another kid and you're like, oh yeah, now I remember yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. The teenage years I'm actually enjoying yeah, because they're like humans now with like, my kids are sarcastic and I yeah. love it. Yeah, that's cool. Like they bust on me too. I love it. Wait, where'd they get the sarcasm from? And they know how to take a joke, which is a good trait to have in yeah. life, right? Yeah. Because you son, can't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. My son's a, a comedian. He just yells out fart in my butt all day long. It's the greatest <laughs> joke and it never gets old. Just over and over and over. I don't know, a hundred times a day. It's crazy. All right. So that was the first of the three okay. questions. Second one, three books that have made an, a huge impact on your life. See, I don't want to say the same as the last guest. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with my, ones. okay, I'll start with the unique one. So <laughs> Influence, Psychology of Persuasion. Oh, so, is that? Uh, Cialdini. Yeah, Cialdini. I never had said I had Cialdini that guy on my Cialdini. podcast. Did you really? It was the most amazing Can you episode. get me him on my podcast? I, am I? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, I would know. love His that. wife handles all the bookings. Really? Do you think he'd want to come to Maui? Mm, maybe. I don't they know. They need a vacation. He's in the East Coast, I want to say, Ooh, right? Well, that's a long so, ways. What's funny is the one question I asked him was, so do you use these tactics on your wife? <laughs> and he chuckled and he was like, actually, she knows everything and she's way better at it than I am. Uh, so, in other words, she, um, she uses it on me. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most impactful book actually I ever read. That's okay. probably what started everything because just the principle of reciprocity yeah. actually was the biggest one for me. Yeah, huge. Like give first. And that's like the whole fundamental principle of yep. content, right? Yep. Have you read Giftology, John Ruin? I have not. That's a great one. Is it's, it? It's okay. all on the idea of, and I'm, it's all on the idea of just giving people gifts and the idea that you're not, it's not like a tit for tat. It's just like be really generous to people and they just naturally want to reciprocate. Yes. Yeah. That's what I've discovered yeah, over the years. That's a great book. I'm going to get that guy on the podcast too. I just talked to him. He's a good dude. 
How He'd be a good one for yours, actually. He'd be a great guy for your Would podcast. he? Okay. Yeah, I can introduce up. you to John. He's, Absolutely. He's super cool. So, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. Hey, let me just preface all these books, yeah, by the please. way. I'm an engineer. Mm. Throughout most of my life, I sat in front of a computer and coded. The monitor was my friend, <laughs> right? So I didn't really have this concept of all these interactions. And, and for business, I think it's important, yeah. right? It's probably the most important thing. You don't even have to be smart. Mm -hmm. I don't even think. I agree. Like if you have a good network, yeah. You're, look at you're Alex over cool. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, those two books, from a people perspective mm -hmm. and learning how to be around people, that's, that's what great. helped me the most. And then the whole rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. I, I didn't. I mean, your last guest used that, but let me just tell you something about rich dad, poor dad. Please. My dad. I was brought up to just work as hard as I could, and then people will recognize your efforts. That's how I was brought up. And that's how my dad lived his life. In real life, though, I discovered that you got to ask for what you want. Otherwise, you're not going to get it. Like, I worked for the longest time and didn't really get a raise. Mm, like, not a big yeah. raise. Like, a, a tiny one. Like, 2%, 3%. It was only after I threatened to leave did I get a double-digit raise. And I was like, that's not right. That's not right. So, every other year, I just started asking for a raise. And I got it. That's awesome. So, now, like, my attitude is, hey, if you want something... Go get it. You have to, you have to get it yourself. So uh, no one would ask me to keynote their event. So I started my own event. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then I said, hey, Steve, you want to be yeah, the you keynote? Be keynote? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. That's awesome, yeah. man. I love it. Yeah, that's true. I don't think I've ever got a raise, ever. If, like, because like, I never asked for them. Like, I don't think I've ever had a job where I got a raise in, like, years. Like, I've given myself a raise. I wrote a book for Bigger Pockets, and all of a sudden I got more money, like, because I got book royalties. But... Yeah, nobody ever, yeah. Because nobody just goes out there thinking, how do I give this person a raise? Like, because they don't care about you. They care about them. Everyone only cares about themselves generally. And so, yeah. It's even harder when you're working for a friend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's even harder. It is harder. Yeah. yeah. There was an embarrassing story once where, I've never said this out loud, but I'll say it. This is after Josh kind of left Bigger Pockets and it was just Scott. I said something about my salary. When I say nobody gave me a raise, actually, it is true. But I didn't know about it. Because I said to Scott, I was like, yeah, I'm only making X amount or whatever. And he's like, and it was kind of my way of like trying to approach it. I, you know, I'd love to make more money. And he's like, that's not how much you're making. I was like, yeah, it is. And he's like, you want to bet? And like, we had a bet and I went and looked and I was actually making like 30% more than I thought for a year. That's how little I was watching how much I was actually bringing in for my job. He still holds me to that, like makes fun of me for that every time I see him. And Scott John's like, yeah, do you forget how much you make again? <laughs> like it was like dramatically different. So what I would so, do is yeah, I just made an did effort get to, to interview. Yeah. And that way you have to go in with an offer. Yeah. And then you have to, in your mind, be ready to leave psychologically too mm, yep. each time. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, yeah. That's huge, right? Yeah. Like he who has the most to lose wins or whatever. Or, yep. Yeah. Pew wants it le the least. Yeah, the least yeah, wins, yeah, wins or whatever. Yeah. 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 You get you get what I'm saying. All right. Yeah. So that's the book question. The last okay. question is, what are three final, and I'm still playing with these questions, but I think I'm going to go with this one. What are three like final pieces of wisdom you can leave the listeners with? It could be anything at all. It could be summary of what we talked about already. It could be something brand new. Man, I think we've covered all my favorite Chufuciusisms. <laughs> all right. So my favorite quote of all time, which is something you asked or yes. Stetson asked me yeah, about, yeah, yeah. was who dares wins, no regrets. Who? Who dares wins, no regrets. Love it. Who said that? Steve Chu. Good question. It's not my quote okay. for sure. <laughs> it's not my quote for sure. It's actually uh, my army buddy, Chi actually introduced me to this. Okay. It's, I think it's a, it's a common slogan in the army, actually. But it's like the opposite of what my dad taught me. Like, you just got to do something and try it 
Otherwise, nothing good will ever happen. Mm. I teach a class, so a lot of people are always a little squeamish to get started. And I always tell them, hey, what's the worst that can happen, right? So when we started Bumblebee Linens, what's the worst that could happen? We'd go back to work. Or our friends would make fun of us for this stupid handkerchief idea and, yep. and whatnot. We'd get a little pie in our face and yep. we'd move on. Nothing was ever catastrophic. And yep. you can tell me this from your experience too. Most of the entrepreneurs I know are not risk takers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They, they never yep. bet the farm. They Agreed. just try something. It doesn't yeah. cost that they much. They try a little bit. It doesn't work. They try something else. Try and... something else. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's very few times you hear the, like in, the entrepreneurs in movies are like, always like, yeah, I'm going to put, I'm going to bet everything. Like this is my whole life. Yeah. The farm. It's never that way. It's like, try the, like, that's where I like the lean startup. That book, the lean startup. Yeah. So much. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, just make a little test. See how it works. If you like it, you stick with it and then test something else and try, just keep doing that. And you will keep navigating your way toward a successful business. Yeah. Powerful. All right, man. I love it. Got any more wisdom? Chewism? Probably do. I just need context. I know. I know. See, this question, I, I thought about this with this part of the podcast. Is like, is it too, that's why I asked John Gordon about that. Is it too vague of a question? And a guy like him, who's a public speaker, meaning like, I mean, you know, 50, 100 times a, week, a year he's speaking, it's probably easier for him to like pump out these like things. The other question I was going to ask, and I'll ask your advice on this. The other question was, who are three people you look up to? Are you going to ask these to every, every guest? I'm playing with the idea. Because like, there's certain podcasts that I know of, yeah. and it gets repetitive when yep. you ask the same questions to everybody. Because yep. people will say the same things. Yep. Or I think you should do this on the fly based on where the conversation's going. Mm, okay. So we talked a lot about family. Yeah. So you might maybe you'd ask me, like, so what's your best like family piece of advice? Yeah. Or what's your best online business piece of advice? Or something like that. I, I don't yeah. know. You know, I think what Lewis Howes does, and I could ask him, but um, I don't listen to the show enough to know if he does it every time, but he's got these amazing social clips that, that of the guest saying some zinger line. And it almost looks like they, like they are prepared ahead of time. So I think he's telling people like, hey, I'm going to ask some wisdom tips. Like, give me three tips of wisdom and then just say them. And then we're going to cut those up and put them on social. So I'm guessing he's doing something I'll, like I'll that. I'll tell you but. what he does. Have he you been on he always ends with, what are the three truths? Oh, man, that's what it is. Okay, and, so they know that's coming. Right, they know that's yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says... Like, let's say you weren't, like you lost everything yep. overnight. What would you still carry? In, I can't remember how he phrased yeah, it. Yeah. Something like that. Like, if you, let's say you just lost everything and nothing mattered. What would be like the fundamental truths that, that you would still live by sense. or something like that? Yeah. He, he's well, much more eloquent with that. Yeah, he's much, much better at that than me. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I, saw, I like this. And I think we're going to keep all this in the podcast, too. Just I like this going back and forth. Oh, okay. All right. Trying to figure this out. I think yeah, this yeah. is good. Because I, I want people to know, too, is like we're building this plane as we're flying. You know, we're like, I don't know. Let's figure out what this looks like. You know, I did the Bigger Pockets podcast over 500 episodes. Like we had it dialed in. But the first 20, we didn't have like the famous four and the quick tip and the, all these things we added in later. They weren't in the beginning because you figure out your flow. You figure out what works. So it's kind of fun to work it with the guests. So. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. Well, last question then. Where do people connect with you? Email list? That's what you said, right? It is. It All is. Right, but I'm actually a little more social now. Oh, wow. Right Let's now. hear it. All right. So first off, the book can be found at thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com. The Family First, F-I-R-S-T? F-I-R-S-T and then entrepreneur. All right. I wish I didn't use that URL because entrepreneur is very easy to spell wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I'm giving out three instant bonuses if you pre-order the book. Wow. Tell us about this. A three-day workshop on how to get started with print-on-demand. Mm. The reason why I teach print-on-demand is because it's a gateway drug. Yeah. You can get started with no money. Agreed. Use your own creativity. Make some money. Yep. It's probably not going to make you like changing money. Yep. 
but it'll get you into the flow of selling. It changes your identity to be an entrepreneur yes. at, a, at a low stakes way. I agree 100%. Second bonus is a two-day workshop on content, how to make money with blogging, podcasting, and YouTube. Okay. If you want to go the content route. And I say this up front, like it's going to take a while. Yes. Right? I would give it at least two or three years. But it's so worth it. But it's so worth it. Hey, two or three years of continual learning too and of development and getting better. Yeah, of consistent, consistent yep. work. You're always trying to get better, learn more. Yeah, yes. that's, that's huge. Yeah. Okay, so that's the book. Love and it. then my blog is over at mywifequitterjob.com. I have a podcast of the same name where I interview people, mostly in e-commerce land. Like I go for like small brands who are just, who get their hands dirty. Yeah. I like people who get their hands dirty. That's cool. Because the people who I get who are big names, they're always really polished and they don't reveal much. Yeah. They're prepared yep. with what they're going to say. So when I get smaller brands, they'll just tell me everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's they're why like, I like yeah, So that's what, what that podcast is about. Perfect. And then I have a YouTube channel as well. And if you guys are getting married and you need hankies, <laughs> I'll hook you up over at bumblebeelinens.com. Love it. Yep. Dude, thank you. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thanks, man. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on the show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife. abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.